Anyway, this kid, young piano player, his mother wanted to inspire him, so she, she took him to a concert of a, a world-renowned pianist, and his name was uh, Paderewski, and this is in the 1920s or so, and he's the, considered the greatest pianist in the world, and so he takes, she, she takes her son to go see him because she wants to inspire him to become the greatest piano player, right? And so... They go to this great hall and this great banquet hall and there's all these people there to see this guy play and people are buzzing in the room, right? They're just, they can't wait to see the world's greatest pianist play and the, the mom is sitting there, um, this is before the concert begins and she is probably distracted or something because she's talking to someone and, and the little boy slips out from his chair and goes up on the stage and of course on the stage is this, it's an empty stage except this beautiful huge grand piano, the Steinway that's waiting for Paderewski, right? Well, the kid slips out and climbs up on the stage and sits in the, in the seat at this piano and starts playing chopsticks in front of this huge crowd. And uh, this crowd is like, they, they hadn't been paying attention. All of a sudden, they, they turn and they look, of course, because now this Steinway is being played and the mother, of course, sees him and she's what? She's horrified, right? Like, oh my gosh, my kid has got up on the stage and everybody's staring. And then Paderewski walks out from the back, and he's in his tux, and he goes and he sits down at the at seat, flips his tails up, sits down next to this little boy who's playing chopsticks, and he goes, hey, keep playing, and he starts playing right along with him, right? And he's playing right along with him, and the kid keeps playing chopsticks, and he's just playing, and the people are like freaking out now. There's, they've sat down, the concert has begun, and they are, and he just plays this beautiful piece along with this kid, right? And then song ends and everybody stands up and starts clapping the boy gets gets up and he's like bowing like everybody's clapping for him of course and 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 he goes and sits down but he has no idea right that the reason that chopsticks worked is because the master was playing right along with them and I think where I want to begin this morning is all, all we have is chopsticks you guys know that right like that's all we got and, in, and the master, though, he'll sit beside us and say, keep going. And when he does that, things that we don't feel like we can do begin to happen. And the things that we feel like are way beyond chopsticks start to fill the room. Are you with me? Perhaps for you, you are wondering, and I've heard this question this very week, does prayer really work? Perhaps you're wondering, why are we fasting? Why, why, why do we do this? And I'm learning that the more that, I, more that I give, even if it's a little bit, the more I just trust him with what I have, even if it's learning how to pray, even if it's stepping into a fast, and saying, God, you can have it. I'm learning the more that the master steps into my life and he starts to do things that I never saw coming. Jesus said, for the one who believes, all things are possible for the one who believes. This is what Jesus said. And I'm learning more and more that I am limited. I am very limited. I don't know if you feel limited ever. Does anybody ever feel limited? Like, I, I really can't do that much. Like, I, I don't have the talent 
or the abilities or the personality. I've said that so many times in my life. Oh, I don't think I have the right personality for that. Or I don't have the right, I don't have the, I, I can't really do that. And I'm, I'm realizing how limited I really am. But with the master, with Jesus, with the power of the Holy Spirit, I am, I am starting to learn just a little bit, and maybe you are too, that I am more than flesh and blood. But I, but I do have the power of God, the power of the Spirit, the power of Jesus working within me. And that's what, this is what Jesus is trying to like pull the veil back on all of us to be able to see that you are not who you think you are. You are more than you think you are. And you are more than conquerors is what Paul says, right? And, so, and we can get into this. We're not even really gonna talk about how much, we have, how much power we have in Jesus, but I think it's a good place to begin because I started earlier during worship and I said, what do you think about when you think about Jesus? And you guys said all sorts of great things. You started, and we didn't even, we could have sat there for a long time, couldn't we? And just said, what do we really think about when we think about Jesus? And we said everything, oh, I think I picture the cross, or I love, I, I, it's, it's love, it's Jesus' love. I mean, we sang Jesus' love, love as a name, it's Jesus. We, we, we might say, oh, Jesus is he's forgiveness or he's grace. Or, and we say these things, and they are so real and so true. And I just want to, this morning, I, I want to I press into this question, what do we think about when we think about Jesus? Because I think there's something that we should be thinking about when we think about Jesus. And there's a whole bunch of things that we can think about, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna point us to maybe a few. Turn with me to Philippians chapter two. If you have a Bible, of course, it's be on the screen. This is an amazing chapter of the Bible. Um, it's one of those, it's one of the, it's actually been on my mind like all week, it, it, really for weeks now. It just, it's one of those like, you know when a song gets stuck in your head? You know what I'm talking about? This is like this Bible, this, this chapter stuck in my head. It's like, if you, did you hear that? Did, did, was, there a, was there like a Holy Spirit drum beat over there or something like that? I just heard a boop. But anyway, um, <coughs> keep singing. One of the songs that keeps, gets stuck in my head is, is Baby Shark. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, if you have a toddler, if you don't hang out with a toddler, Baby Shark, do, 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 that one. I'm going to get it in everybody's head with me. Well, this, this, is, uh, this is that kind of passage that gets stuck in my head and just keeps going over and over again. These 11 verses uh, are jam-packed with some of the most cherished scriptures we have about the nature of Jesus. And so I'm, we're going to read them. But by the way, Philippians, the book of Philippians, a powerful letter from Paul to a young church plant in the city of Philippi. I like to think about these people. They're like this young church plant, and they're all excited about God and bringing life to their city, and then they get this letter from Paul, and they're like, oh, yes, Paul, and they get encouraged by this letter. That's, you know, kind of what I think about when I read the Bible. I don't know what you think about it. So Paul, Paul wrote this, chat, or this, this, this book, and in chapter one, which we aren't going to touch on, I just want, you, I don't want to remind you, he, he writes about his suffering. He's in prison, and he writes about what he's going through and the challenges and the opposition he has to his faith. And he says, by the way, you're going to have the same type of opposition. And when you do, just remember there's only one thing that matters. You know what he says? Live a life worthy of the gospel. That's what he says is the only thing that matters, no matter what you face in life. So anyway, then he goes on in chapter two. And he goes, oh, by the way, by the way, by the way, let's remember Jesus. Let's remember who Christ is. And this is what he says in Philippians chapter two, starting in verse one. He says, therefore, you have, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, anybody have encouragement from being united with Christ? If you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, 
if any tenderness and compassion. Okay, so he's just trying to like make sure he's covered his bases, right? Like, hey, if you've ever been encouraged by Jesus, if you've ever like experienced some sort of unity with the spirit, if you've ever had, so is this, is this applying to anybody that knows Jesus? Yes, yeah, so this is, if you have ever experienced love from Jesus, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and of one mind, meaning join together in what you value and how you love. Let me just pause on this a second. I know you probably aren't thinking this, but I want to speak to it. Paul, is Paul saying that we should all, when he says be like-minded, be one, you know, is he saying that we should all think alike, act alike, look alike? And I think it's worth mentioning because one of the critiques from people that reject Christianity and reject God is the notion that Christianity is some sort of rule book on uniformity. That we should all believe, think, act, we should, everything should look the same and we should behave the same. And, G, and Paul, excuse me, Paul isn't saying here anything about uniformity. He's actually talking about unity, which unity is very different than uniformity. Are you with me? So this is, this is big, and I know you probably, probably already got that, but I wanted to just mention that because I think it's important because you might see that sort of critique of Christianity out there. So Paul makes it clear that he's talking about unity around the name of Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, if you're like me, this is like one of those like, whoa, this is, this is an impossible kind of passage. At first pass, you might be like, oh, yeah, 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 totally, totally. Don't be selfish. You know, like, like think of others. Like, uh, be like Christ. Like, got, cool, cool, got it, got it, got it. Others of you are like, whoa, like, that's big. Think of others, like, all the time and be like Christ. And others of you are like, I totally got this down. Like, I got the spiritual gift of humility. I'm good. You know, I got this. <laughs> so this is a significant verse in our culture. Think about it. This verse smacks individualism in the face. And I talk about individualism a lot because it is a cultural icon in America. It is, it is one of the things that continues to try and push against the gospel. It's no secret that this is not only one of uh, America's cultural icons, but it is also uh, we as a culture are the most individualistic culture in the entire world. And we worship the individual, don't we? Think about it. I could go on and on. I won't go on and on because I've went on and on in the past about this. But we worship athletes or musicians or, or we, we love to worship thinkers and doers. And, and here's the thing. We worship at the feet of talent, success, beauty, the rich. In America, would you say that's a fair assessment? And people think that pride by the way, because he mentions humility, so i got to mention pride. People think that pride is actually, this, the, the, the first pass at pride is, you know, it, it's someone that's portrayed, it's portrayed through arrogance. And so when you see someone that's arrogant, you go, oh man, they, they think they are the stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and that bothers us, and we think they're so prideful, but that is, that is certainly a visible display of pride. But there is something that wreaks havoc way more than arrogance when it comes to pride. 
and it's deceptive, and it's very much underneath the surface, and it's called self-centeredness. When, pre- when people make their lives mostly about themselves, when everything they do and they talk about and they focus on in their life is about them, it's a self-centered life, isn't it? And so, believe it or not, very quiet, very meek, very non-arrogant people can be very self-centered, can't they? You know what I'm saying? Are you with me? Mm. Mm. People think that pride is being arrogant, but self-centeredness is actually the thing that becomes a form of bondage in people's life. It's the thing that sort of can grip them and they can become imprisoned to because people that first think about themselves all the time, guess what that leads to? They're the people that always talk about themselves. They're the people that always guard their schedules for themselves. They're the people that always, uh, you know, make sure that um, they're taken care of first. And you're like, well, no, no, I'm not talking about just like, you know, did you go last at Thanksgiving and get your food? That's not what I'm talking I'm talking about deeper things than that, friends. I'm talking about a life that revolves around you. How many of us have struggled with that? Everybody, just so you know. I'll give you another example that happens right here every week when we talk about this this idea of self-centeredness and individualism is every week at the end of the service, we, we, we invite people to come and pray with other people, don't we? And, and, and do you know how countercultural that is, by the way? Because prayer is actually something that most people have said, oh, no, no, that's an individual sort of act. Prayer is a, is a, and faith is a private matter. And so the, the idea of sharing faith and prayer with someone else is very countercultural. It's probably why we don't do it very much. And, and, and really, what we're trying to say is, no, 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 we don't want to go with the grain of American or Western culture, but we actually want to step into the gospel culture, which says that we share our faith with one another and we pray together. And so when we invite into prayer, it's actually saying, I'm gonna step into, I'm gonna step into the culture of Jesus and out of the culture of our Western world that we live in. Because the Western world would say, you don't pray with others. You pray by yourself. In fact, you do your whole faith life by yourself. You pull your own Jesus bootstraps up and you try and do it all on your own. You know what I'm talking about? You come here, you learn, you receive, and then you go and try and live your faith out by yourself. That is not, that is not gospel. That is Western American individualism. Are you with me now? That was a little better. At the end of this thing, when I say, are you with me, it's going to be resounding. Yes. It's my dream. I think about it every day. <laughs> so this is a huge issue for the church, and prayer is at the heart of it. We want to pray together because we want to pursue Christ, unlike our culture and how it pursues other things. So then he says, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Didn't he say that? I think it was verse 3, right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, that rather in humility consider others better, better than yourselves. Again, this huge, monumental statement. Nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You know, we have this 20... <laughs> I was thinking about this when I was preparing for this. We have this 24-hour fast coming up, and it would be so easy to fast in vanity, wouldn't it? We just finished Thanksgiving. <laughs> we got Christmas coming. This is a well-timed fast. 
Because it can easily be like, oh, like, I mean, come on. I know everyone has thought it. Like, oh, that'd be a good way to shed a few pounds. Are you with me? No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and here's the thing. Let's, we got to make sure we check our hearts, don't we? We step into a fast without any selfish ambition or vain conceit. That we step into it saying, I have a purpose in this. And in, in this case, we're saying, who in your life, for example, who in your life needs Jesus? What if you fasted with clarity about considering others better than yourselves? Are you with me now? Okay, we're getting there. Think about the words that Paul writes, in humility, value others above yourselves. And this is really hard in our culture because selfishness and pride is all over our culture. And we live in the culture of the selfie. You know what I mean? Like nothing wrong with, well, maybe, there's probably a little bit wrong with selfies. But we, there, here's the thing about them. We, we have, we live in a social media world and there's nothing that screams individualism than, the, than this look at me culture that we live in. We see it every day. And our heart for this invitation to pray and fast for others. For me, it, it comes, and I told you this is like a verse that's been on my heart, like a song that just gets stuck in your head. And so this, this verse really came to life for me because I was thinking about how can my prayers and my fasting quit being so individually focused and how can they be for the sake of others? How can they be for the people in my life that I know need Jesus? Who's a person in my life that's hurting and struggling? I have some people in my life, and I know you do too. I have some friends in my life right now who are hurting and struggling so deeply. And I'm like, how in the world are they going to get out of that pit? I don't even see it. And then I think, and Jesus has saved people who are lost of the lost. Jesus has pulled people out and rescued people that had no chance of survival. Jesus has done that. And so when I think about people in my life, and I'm, I, I just don't want to write them off. I just want to say they're a lost cause. Like, no, if I have hope, they have hope. And so what if fasting and praying was considering others better than myself for once in my life? And I said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step into this. What if that's what it was about? Are you with me? Can we fast and pray? Remember last week we talked when Jesus said, some things can only be done by prayer and fasting. Hmm. So the question today, what, was it, uh, what do you think of when you think of Jesus? I want to keep reading Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. So he just said, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That's a really amazing scripture that takes a little bit of thinking to really grasp what's being said. I'll touch back on it in a minute. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So you got to picture Jesus is in heaven, right? Jesus is in heaven with the, as a tr part of the triune God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's up there in all of his glory, Right? And he says that he didn't use all of that glory and all that power for his own advantage. That's, that's pretty non-self-centered of him. <laughs> you know what I mean? He said, I'm not even going to use this over my own advantage. I'm actually going to empty myself. What did he empty himself of? 
his glory. He had to empty himself of his glory in order to be made in human likeness because what, a humani- what does humanity not have apart from God? Any glory. And so he empties himself of his glory. He humbles himself, becomes obedient to death, even death on the cross, right? So, so Paul writes that the king of kings, think about this, he comes down, he humbles himself, he doesn't have to because here's the thing, if Jesus was just about getting us to do what we needed to do, if Jesus and God were just about us submitting to his authority and his lordship and us figuring out that God is real, don't you think God could have done something different? Don't you think God could have said, if all I'm concerned about is you believing in me, I can make you believe. He could snap a finger, right? And the whole world would thunder and shake. And here's what he's saying. It's like, I could have brought my armies, my angels, and I could have made the earth shake and you would have bowed in my presence because you would have been crushed by my presence. But I didn't do that. I didn't do that. He could have unleashed his power and might. Trumpets could have sounded. All those good things. All those good things. And we would have not stood a chance. But instead of those things, Jesus empties himself of his, of his glory. He comes down, right? He comes down to earth, puts on humanity's clothes, moves into the neighborhood. And what does he do? He woos us with his love. That's what he does. Because you know what Jesus is not interested in doing? Making you do what you ought to do. He wants you to actually be compelled to submit your life to him because you, rec- you acknowledge and recognize him as Lord Jesus. He actually wants you to choose to worship him. He could make you worship him, but he didn't. Instead, he emptied himself. Paul says, you must have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. <laughs> what? How in the world do we have the same mindset as Christ Jesus? The whole act of coming down is predicated by this humility of Jesus where he did nothing for his own advantage. Humility, about, humility is first and foremost for me and you about wanting to be like Christ. But I do want to, I want to make sure we understand something. Humility is not some self-depreciating, weak outlook on life where we become everybody's doormat. No, it's a desire to be more like Christ because we have to remember that Jesus was powerful. Jesus was a revolutionary. Do you guys know that, right? Like, he turned the world on its head. He actually looked at the kingdoms of the world and he said, I got something better. And he ushers in and inaugurates the kingdom of God in this earth. That's what he does. He's no one's doormat, yet he never hesitates to carry someone's mat. That's Jesus. Perhaps there are some things that you need to empty yourself of. What about your glory and your ego and your self-centeredness? And I love how Paul ends this little poem he writes about Christ in verse 9 through 11 because he's not done. He says, therefore, God exalted him meaning Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To the, to the what? To the glory of God the Father. Oh, okay, so we're gonna give him back the glory that he emptied himself of. That's what he's asking. That's what we're gonna do here. I'm actually about done because you know what we're gonna do today? We're actually gonna worship in a moment. So, Robbie or whoever's coming, they can come. But every knee will bow, every tongue confess. 
you know the, the act of bowing is the epitome of, of humility? You know that, right? Because when you bow, it's an act of submitting yourself and humbling yourself. And, and the truth about bowing, because he says every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. This is what's going to happen. And the truth is the act of bowing to God is difficult for many of us. I've mentioned before, but the notion of bowing is a struggle for people. And I, I don't, I don't, I think I know why. I think it's because we're self-centered. If we were Jesus-centered, if what we thought about when we thought about what Jesus was, when we thought about Jesus was who he was, we would have no problem getting on our knees at any moment, at any time, no matter who's looking. Because I think for most of us, the, the, the notion of bowing is like, it's not really, you don't really have to. You can stand, you sit, Jesus, Jesus knows our heart. You ever heard that one? I don't need to lift my hands and praise because, you know, I mean, that's just not me. I didn't grow up that way. I just know what I read in the Bible. I know how I grew up was not how I ought to be. That doesn't mean he didn't grow up with some good things, but that's not the standard of how I live. What the standard of how I live is what I read in here. And what I read in here are knees bowing, tongue confessing, hands raised. That's what I read in here. You see, the church I see are a bunch of people who genuinely love Jesus so much that they will bow their knee to him anywhere, anytime unashamed. You see, the church that I see doesn't worry about what people think when they are worshiping the Lord. They only think about what they're offering up to the Father. The church I see is free to worship and love Jesus the way he deserves. You see, I don't want to stop short, and I don't want any of us to stop short, but I think that we do. I think that we're more concerned about who we are than who he is. Are you with me now? I think we're more concerned about we're more concerned about what we look like to others than what we look like to God. Are you with me now? So where'd we begin? We began with what do you think about when you think about Jesus? What if we thought of this? What if we thought of every knee bowing, every tongue confessing? What if we thought about being people who actually want to worship? What if we saw ourselves just as a little kid playing alongside the master, going, man, I don't have much to offer, but he'll take what I give and he'll do things that I never could do my, my own. You remember this verse, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen: If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and they will pray and they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Today we begin a week where we focus on prayer and fasting and worshiping and thinking about Jesus. And you know, in case you didn't know, this was a message about worship. <laughs> Just wanna make sure we caught that. You know what worship is, right? 
Worship is putting God where he belongs and putting ourselves where we belong. And where should God be? High and lifted up, exalted. And where should we be? On our knees. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads? We have about 10 minutes left today and I want to worship because I think when we think about Jesus, I want to think about the fact that he humbled himself for each and every one of us. He emptied himself for us. And because he did this, God lifted him up. He exalted him to the highest place. There is no other name more powerful than the name of Jesus. And people try and dismiss him. People try and ignore him. People try and deny him. But you know what's funny about Jesus? It just keeps going. He just keeps enduring. He keeps overcoming. And he actually keeps getting bigger. We have, a, we have believed the lie that the kingdom is shrinking. The kingdom is not shrinking, friends. It is advancing. It is getting bigger. Just because a few people here in America have turned their back on him does not mean the kingdom is shrinking. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So today I just want to give us some time to worship him. And I want us to worship him with freedom. I want to put God where he belongs and put ourselves where we belong. And we, get, we, we created a little extra time at the end just for that purpose. And so don't be in a rush. Just sit in this moment and worship him. Father, we pray that as we worship, this altar's a, a place of freedom. These aisles, the back of the room, the front of the room, wherever, Father, we just want to be, have a heart to put you where you belong and ourselves where we belong. Pray these things in your name. Amen.